This is part two of my conversation with Gail Hayson. Link to part one is in the description. I actually published in one or two of my books a telepathy session that we did with Gail because Gail is one of those people who just has psychic things happening all the time. And so I, I put Gail into the category of somebody who is truly a natural psychic because she's not trying to do anything. It's just that she's, as compared to many people, she doesn't have the same kind of filters that other people have. Gail Hayson has worked as a successful subject in parapsychology experiments with Dr. Dean Radin, Russell Targ, and others. She's been featured in numerous books, documentaries, and papers, including the film Third Eye Spies. Gail has received an honorary PhD from the National Academy of Sciences in Mongolia. She's been having anomalous experiences since she was a child and is well known for her remote viewing abilities. Gail has a plethora of fascinating and enlightening stories to share and is also the host of her own podcast, A Small Medium at Large. Please see the description for relevant links, recommended books, and timestamps. A couple of other kind of more bizarre things I wanted to ask you about. So there was something I heard Dean Radin say just a couple of weeks ago on a podcast um, or an interview, some kind of conference thing he was doing with Avi Loeb. So kind of two great minds, uh, very different minds, but but both great minds in their own field, kind of pushing boundaries. Like Avi's a, a professor at Harvard looking into UFOs. Uh, UAP um, and and obviously Dean, we know Dean. Um, anyway, he mentioned uh, something to Avi. He said like uh, he talked about SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. You know, that's like they have this in in the US and they use like radio waves and stuff like that, and they they kind of trying to pick that up, and that's how they're looking for extraterrestrial intelligence. And Dean said, you know, with all the evidence that we have for remote viewing, would it not be like a much more like worthwhile pursuit? to have a bunch of remote viewers trying to see if they can kind of perceive any other non-human consciousness out there in you know in the galaxy or wherever um rather than say and i just thought that was really interesting so i just wanted to get your kind of your your two cents on it really your thoughts on it well my thoughts are i'm sure that he could do that conduct an experiment gather remote viewers and 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 see what information they came up with or what contact if what they they uh i myself personally uh had a ufo type experience when i was in my 20s mm-hmm. and it was when i was curious as to whether there was something else out there right and um i found it to be a very frightening experience and so just like these other things, when a certain thing happens, it's like, I don't really want to have anything to do with it after that. So yeah. my feeling is, I don't doubt that there isn't something out there. It's it's really kind of small minded of us to think that we're just the only thing in. But I don't know whether there's uh, little people or aliens or, you know, any of this kind of thing, or if it's all just a level of consciousness that's much higher without bodies or um, I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, but I would rather leave that to the, you know, like Nick Cook, you know, people who are <laughs> investigating yeah. these things from the a scientific and intellectual point of view or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, understand. And, I think you've got to be careful before, yeah, trying to contact any intelligence that you don't know. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So for me, it's a been there, done that. No, I don't want to. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I understand. I understand. Would you be comfortable talking about your UFO experience or or is it something you, you know, is it too, too personal? You know, or... until I started the podcast thing, 
I've just done my 60th show, a small oh, medium. I just published my 60th the other day. Well, that's, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so yeah. cute. Well, my 60th yeah. will be out on Wednesday. Nice. Uh, I, um, I haven't been on it. I haven't been interviewed in a while. You're the first show I've been on in a while. And I was doing a lot of interviews. And then I was interviewing other people. And the subject was coming up. So I finally decided to, to talk about it. And mm -hmm. it did relieve me of some of the... The reason I talked about it was because I was hearing other people describe on their shows, because I listen to the person's podcast before I'm going to be on it or if they're going to be on my show. So I try to watch a few of their shows. Mm -hmm. And I'm hearing descriptions of what I experienced, you know, some 40 years ago. And I'm thinking to myself, how could these people have had the same kind of thing that I had that I didn't tell anybody about, you know? Yeah, yeah. So there was something in that that made me feel like it's better to, you know. Liberated. Liber let that let the story out. Um, Definitely. And I also sort of felt less like scared of it after hearing the other people tell similar stories. Mm -hmm. So the story is, in my mind, I'm wondering, is there really outer space? Is there really outer planetary? Because as a child, I didn't mention this, I used to do what they call astral projection. Okay. Leave my body in our house in Flushing, in Queens, and I would fly, I called it flying because I was only nine or whatever. I didn't know what the word would be, astral projection. So I called it flying. And I've since heard numerous other guests or other podcast people refer to that similar thing as a child. They say, well, I just called it flying. <laughs> and from that flying, I would leave my body and I would see everyone, including my own self, sleeping in the bed. And I would just be in my house in Flushing and I would go around and I would always be sort of toward the ceiling when I was flying. Fascinating. And then one day I decided, well, maybe that I could expand that out and go further. Maybe I could go above my and I was doing some retreats in my 20s, different, um, you know, retreats about discovering the self or mm -hmm. meditation and these different eye opening things. And when I came back from the retreat, I said, you know, Maybe I could take that flying and I did it as a kid. Maybe it could come back to me as an adult and I could go and travel. And sure enough, I laid in my bed and I was able to leave and see my house in Sebastopol. Then I was able to see Sebastopol. Then I was able to see above and I was looking at the state. And the next thing I knew, I was looking at the country. And I was like above all and seeing these amazing images. So that was when I then decided, well, I wonder if there is, you know, other planetary things. I should go look while I'm doing this yeah. thing, you know, flying or astral travel. And I can't tell you what happened that to make it make sense necessarily. But my body was laying in the bed. Uh -huh. But the rest of me was being taken away. And my physical body was in this bed but all of everything else that is made up of gale was not there and it was taken up into this i don't know it was sort of a scary kind of thing and all i can describe is that it was sort of like stretched out looking images of grayness and they were putting me on a table 
and I was being probed and sexually, some kind of very strange sexual things were happening. And that in itself was weird in itself. I'm a very sexual person, but I wasn't expecting it to be this kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was a scary, I don't know. And I saw like a place that years later, I saw a science fiction movie and I said, oh my God, that looks like the place that I saw when I was in this whatever dream. Whatever I don't was. know, what yeah. whatever this was. And it was like, you know what honeycombs look like where you see those the little circles of the honeycomb and the bee is mm -hmm. going in each little thing? Yeah. That's what it looked like, but there were wrapped up like bodies in them. And I was just terrified. Yeah. And I didn't couldn't wait to get back to my own my body and earth. And um and I never told anyone about it when it happened in my twenties. I didn't even tell a therapist or a it scared the shit out of me. And I just yeah. never shared it. And then when I started hearing people describe similar things where they and then they have names for it and they've got colonies and I don't know, you know, that's like too much for me. But when they talked about the grays and I'm thinking, oh my God, that looked like what they're describing, like what I'm experiencing. And other ones talking about these strange probing and sexual things. So after hearing other people say it, it made me start to think back to the past that what I've been shoving down maybe was a real experience or maybe it, you know, I don't know because I never wanted to, I never wanted to know about it after I was so terrified. Yeah. But I yeah. never felt like it was a dream. Yeah. Wow. That's that's incredible. And and I mean I want to ask you in a minute how you kind of got back to your body if you recall, but yeah, I mean there's no no surprise you were terrified. And when you said like you don't know if it's real, I mean, I guess it kind of was real and not real at the same time, right? Like a lot of this stuff, like it's not yeah. physical, it's not but it's but it doesn't mean it's not real. Certainly a real experience either way. And then the obviously the psychological effects of that experience are real. And then it's just what was the experience? And and you're definitely not the first person I've spoken to that has told me about an experience and has said, essentially, I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was. Yeah, I don't know if it was. Yeah. How real it was or if it was a dream or if it wasn't a dream or, you know, it sounds terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and and people and I'm not saying there and people have all these wonderful positive learning experiences and downloads they talk about and all this mm -hmm. other stuff. So I'm not saying that the UFO or this kind of searching or seeking is a totally negative thing. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that one experience I had yeah, yeah. that breaks me. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, of course it would be. It's this, I mean, think of it like this, like if, if a fireman saves a, a kitten, you know, from, from like a, a basement or something or a, an, a building that's on fire, the kitten's probably going to be terrified of this, this person with a big helmet and mask, like grabbing them and physically removing them and everything. And there's chaos all around. And, but obviously it's trying to help. We have no way really of knowing, do we? At least, you know, agendas and that kind of thing. Um, but wow, I'm glad you shared it because, like you said, I mean, the more people that share these kind of experiences, the more people will feel, the more people will feel liberated to share their own. It's the same with psychic phenomena. It's the same with you know after death communication and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, that's powerful. So you remember seeing these beings, and they looked like the typical gray being yes. that, that you see in the media. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you remember how you got back to your body? I almost felt like it was like. I was dropped back, like, like, like I came back, like 
thinking of my body being level like this and went down mm. into it wow. like that. Was there and, like a moment where you had to escape from the, the, the craft or whatever it was, you know, did that just kind of... With no time in that experience, I couldn't tell you if I was gone for hours or two minutes. Mm. I, I, there, was no, there was no relating to that yeah. part of it. Yeah. And there was no like, oh, I woke up and I had just fallen asleep or nothing like that. There's nothing yeah. I could, could... I just know I was in my 20s. I still live in the same house that I had the experience in. Yeah. In fact, bedroom right above me from where I'm talking to you. <laughs> 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 yeah yeah i uh, guess you I, sorry what girl and i i consciously said i never want to have this experience mm. ever again yeah yeah no not not surprising again um i guess when you woke up did you like check your body if there was any marks or any kind of you know evidence of something or did you just assume because you'd done the I astral thing happy that just, i was yeah. in my bed in my body yeah yeah more of a gratefulness that this is where i was from this feeling of being captured and taken and, and taken away yeah maybe on some level you didn't want to know either i suppose if it was uh no, as i said i never and i'm not i don't keep secrets i'm not that kind of person i just never shared it with anyone because it just was i don't know and i i mean i'll share my rapings my you know kind of everything that ever happened to me but for some reason that one particular one i never shared <laughs> no 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 i'm going to go out on a limb and say there are probably a lot of people that have had some kind of similar experience to that that they yeah will take to the grave and hopefully the more as i say the more the more it's talked about the more people will feel able to to talk about it but, but that's yeah. a fact because it's the, it's what made me talk about it was yeah. hearing these people say these things. And I could have said, oh, they're crazy. Oh, there's mm. no such thing. But I kept saying, oh, wow, that was like what I had. Yeah. So I really, that's one of the things I say in my podcast always is share your stories because stories can heal. Yeah. And just one person might learn something about themselves by something you've said. So I'm grateful yeah. to those people who shared those scary stories from their, their point of views. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, to go back to a couple of other remote viewing things and like, uh, yeah, again, bizarre kind of twists on it that I've been thinking about. So remote viewing, like really, um, bizarre places on earth or like really remote place on earth. So like the Mari, the Mariana, the Mariana trench. Um, the, I don't know if you saw in the news earlier this year, there was some UAP UFOs that were shot down over Alaska. Um, so for example, like if you decided, oh, I'd like to try and remote view these UAP, these UFOs that were shot down over the ice in Alaska, is that something, you know, would that be feasible? Do you think not necessarily for you to do today or anything, but in general, what do you, what do you think about doing something like that? I, I'm not sure that it's that much different than remote yeah. view. that photo I showed you. Yeah. You know, it's, it's. Although it might, is it easier in a way because there's likely to be still some kind of physical debris there unless it's been recovered by the government secretly, but yeah. Uh, well, if I compared what it was like to do the remote viewing with another human at the other end who's standing in front of what I'm supposed to remote view, mm. uh, I didn't find a whole lot of difference between that and sitting with Russell and a photograph or uh, an object. Mm. It didn't feel any different in the you know, connection or I mean, maybe some of the things like I feel like he wants a cup of coffee. I was connecting into his personal feelings, mm -hmm. which would be separate than the actual targets if you're looking at an object or a, a photograph. Yeah. Um, but 
to look at something like that would not be the same as looking for, if you're remote viewing and it's in Alaska and the object is there, that would be different, say, than telling yourself to go out into the universe somewhere and see if there's life forms in other places mm -hmm. or some form of life. Uh, that would be a different type of remote viewing, I think. That yeah. would seem easier if it's an actual something that's sitting there that you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd love to. I'd love it if somebody could try that because I'd love to know where they, where they are and what happened with them. And and I guess I'm thinking as well. So like, again, I don't know how interested or aware of the UFO stuff you are, but there's. I won't go into it all now. But if there was a, a craft that was being, you know, of, of non-human origin that was being held somewhere in, let's say, the U.S by either a, a, a kind of section of government or by uh, an aerospace company or whatever. Um, but you didn't know the location. Like you just knew that there was, and you didn't know what the craft looked like. You just know that there is something being held and it's top secret and it's technological and blah, blah, blah. It, is that, again, is that enough to try and go on or is that like, are you just kind of... Well, it's not the kind of remote viewing I would want to do because I don't have any interest in that field of the ufos as i said it's i yeah. have to leave it for other people i got enough to do with whatever yeah. it is that I do. Yeah. but i do think that there are remote viewers out there that would not have any difficulty in how would that be any different than remote viewing you know yeah. a, a military site or or no, something right. that hasn't been built yet or stephen stephen schwartz is finding atlantis or whatever well not atlantis i've given the Queen Elizabeth or Queen, I forget who they were, but he found the most amazing archaeological sites underwater with submarines and mm -hmm. remote viewers. So yeah. if you can take a remote viewer and a submarine and they can find missing ships and things that, you know, people have been looking for years and years for, why couldn't they do that with a, a craft? Yeah, yeah feels almost like it's like unlimited potential right i feel like uh we can we can let's remote view how the pyramids were built and finally put that one to rest let's finally uh get the answer to that there's so many different things like that you know like let's go back and remote view uh you know there's some stuff from the bible and and see what the deal is there like how how bad was this flood really and and how big was the boat um have you ever tried to remote view another planet um i think what i'm not sure if once we went I can't remember uh, if we tried to, re if I remote viewed and went to a planet. I've had that experience once on a psychedelic drug, but I don't know that I actually did that. On a I don't think I did it with a remote viewing, mm -hmm. but I did it on a, when I was doing psychedelics as a teenager, I had an experience of going to the moon yeah. and on the moon. Wow. And I, if it was a normal person, well, not that you're not normal. If it was me, I'd be like, oh, I probably made that up with Gail. I'm like, hey, it could well have been the moon. You could well have been really seeing the moon up there. Um, wow. Um, so obviously we talked about remote viewing the future, remote viewing 2060. What about remote viewing the past? Um, I just mentioned the pyramids, but yeah, how did, have you ever tried to remote view the past? And, and is it the same kind of thing, essentially? You know, I don't, I don't remember remote viewing the past particularly. Mm -hmm. um, when you think of that question of how the pyramids were built, 
You're going to try that for me, aren't you? You're going to let me know. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I have this feeling that there, there's two things that I still feel. I feel that some things are supposed to remain a mystery. Mm. Okay. And that, okay. That's the acceptance of the fact that it's a mystery is fine with me. Yeah. And the other one is um, that some of it is just magic. Yeah. You know, Braden wrote a book about magic. Real and, magic. Uh, yeah. And um, I, I, I honor all these researchers and scientists and investigators doing what it is. But for my own self, I have a certain acceptance that doesn't, I have no interest or I have no curiosity of, how they built the pyramids. I just accept that this is a mystery yeah. and it's supposed to be left that way. I yeah. don't know yeah. that we're supposed to know the reasons of everything and how it began. Yeah. <laughs> That's just my own. I know. totally see your perspective. I, I still kind of want to know, but, <laughs> right, <laughs> but no, right. I, I totally see, your, that see your side. People that want to do that instead of people like me were happy just with the way it is. <laughs> No, but I'm sure I'm sure with some things I would totally agree that like, yeah, it's it's like best to be left. And and yeah, I mean, I don't I don't disagree. It's 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 absolutely. Yeah, it's a legitimate kind of point of view or stance, should we say. Um, but yeah, so the past, that's interesting. Maybe there'll be, if, if we can think of something that, you know, like that you're happy to unravel a mystery on, we can we can well, see, like, see some past uh, remote viewing. There's. What I want to say the dinosaurs. is dinosaurs. We've discussed remote viewing and we don't have time to go into the other parts of the things that I have going on in my life. Yeah, next time. <laughs> Shamanism is very important to me in my life. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I do these different uh, shamanic, I don't know, call them blessings or healings. I don't like to ever, I'm not saying, oh, yeah. I'm go heal you or whatever, this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But when I do those with people, I do get information from the past. Yeah. This is not a remote viewing. I, I just did with, I'm, I'm studying sound healing right now with a, just this wonderful mm -hmm. man, Renee Jenkins, who was on one of my podcasts and um, discusses sound healing. And uh, I've been using sound in my shamanic work with people. So I thought, gee, I don't know what I'm doing. I should really take a sound healing class. So I've been studying with him the last few classes and um he asked me to do a uh, shamanic healing on his wife who was having some back problems. And also because as a student, he wants to see what am I doing when I'm doing these things. Mm -hmm. So we just did this on Monday and um, information comes to me that is from the past about the person's illness or something. And I just yeah. say it to them. So in this one, um, I don't know who her mother is or any of this kind of thing, but for some reason, I just know, I know the mother is dead, that I knew, but I know that the words that I'm hearing that I'm supposed to tell the person is not the words that this woman would have said when she was alive. And I don't know how I know that, and that's the past, because the person is dead. Yeah. But I say to her, I'm just hearing that this is something your mother never would have said to you in her life when she was living. But as a spirit in the deceased world right now, she's saying, you need to enjoy life more. You need to have more fun. And 
I don't know where that information comes from, but the woman that I'm saying it to knows exactly what I'm talking about mm-hmm. and exactly what I have to say about the mother, that that was not something she would have said when she was alive. Yeah. But I don't know where that, and that I consider past information, but I don't know. So past information does come to me, but not like in a remote viewing way, but yeah. in more of a shamanic way yeah. more people. It's fascinating the way it kind of spontaneously comes again. I spoke to a, a scientist and Reiki, uh, you know, like healer, Reiki person. Um, I'm anyway, she, I'm Reiki master, yeah. Oh, you do that as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, quite, yeah in fact, she I is a Reiki years, master, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I guess you have the same experience with Reiki because that's na- this lady, Natalie Dyer, she told me that, yeah, when she does a Reiki thing with somebody, she will sometimes or often get, yeah, just kind of random, like basically a telepathic reading or something, but just kind of, it will just come spontaneously yeah and it just she'll kind of mention oh by the way I, I i'm getting this come through and this come through well your question is making me think about the, when you say the past i'm thinking and i was thinking oh no i have nothing to say about that but actually i do yeah uh, a friend of mine in chicago asked me to uh come to his house mm-hmm. because he had it on the market it was in highland park it was you know a multi-million dollar uh estate and it was four or five stories i think four stories and then a a basement Mm -hmm. and the last time i had gone there 14 years earlier i ran out screaming in terror because there was something in the upstairs of his home that had happened that's the past and it left an energy that made my hair stand up when i walked up into the room I left that morning. I didn't even stay for breakfast. And I found somebody else's, another friend's house to stay at because I couldn't stay in that building. Flash forward 14 or more years later, I've done all this shamanic work. I've done remote viewing. I've done all these things that have made me stronger inside as a being. And I say, he says, I can't sell my house. I don't know if you can come here and do something to make it so that I could sell the house. And I say, well, I'll come with my son, Richard, and we go out to Chicago. We go to the house and we're going to stay for four or five days. I go up to the same place where I had the scary feeling and it's still there. And I say Mm -hmm. to him, I don't understand how people have slept in this room all these years. He said, I've had so many. He said, only you and uh, that friend of yours, Ray, are the only people who've ever done this experience sleeping here and tell me, leave screaming that they're terrified. He said, nobody, everybody else sleeps here, has a good time, there's no problem. I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> so that night, she asks me, can you tell us anything about the house? And that night, I've been had I've had this very good fortune of being able to ask for information in a dream, and then it comes. So when oh. I went to sleep, I said to the dream world, could you tell me what's with this house? And I have this dream that there's these two kind of... Um, uh, I could tell they were like European or uh, Italian or something, but their skin, they weren't white, white skin people. And it seemed they were from another country. And I'm seeing these people and they're throwing all the possessions from this mansion into the ravine that leads out to Lake Michigan. And they're throwing the stuff in the ravine. They're throwing the stuff in the ravine. And when I wake up, I say to them, I asked a dream and the dream told me that all of this, you know, th- this house had been just robbed blind by this couple or these two people and everything was thrown out into the ravine. 
and the wife of my friend, her, her face turns white and she brings out a book of the history of the house that all the news clippings, because it had been part of like, I don't know, it was a big candy company person who built it or somebody, you know, from the old days. And the woman was living alone in the house in the giant mansion by herself and she had to be hospitalized. And in the article, while she was hospitalized, people came in and just ransacked the house and did exactly what I saw in the dream. Mm -hmm. Things were all thrown into the ravine and stuff was all stolen and taken. So when she said that and showed me the article, I knew and that was 1947. So I knew that this had happened. You know, I think it was the late 40s, whatever the year was. Yeah. And so I said, you know, when I have the moment, I'm going to do a shamanic and Reiki cleansing of your house. So I took my Mongolian incense and I took um, my Reiki symbols and I did Reiki and um, smudging starting at the top floor in the room where I think the incident happened and um, some type of an incident. And um, I started there. It took me close to two hours and I did the whole house from top to bottom and only saying each time as I'm doing with my feathers, you know, whatever is here needs to leave now. Whatever is here needs to leave now. The house had been up for sale for over two years with not one offer. A real estate agent came in two days after I did the cleansing on the house and the people that saw it put a bid in immediately and the house sold in six weeks for 2.9 million, which was a lot of money back then. Wow, yeah. My friend was very thrilled whether it was coincidental, I don't know. You know what I mean? I can't answer that. The skeptic like, would say it was um, just the smell of your lovely Mongolian incense that right. sold the house. You know? <laughs> but no, I mean, it, it sounds like incredible. I mean, yeah, again, I know you can't say 100% certain, like, yeah, it, was coincid- it wasn't a coincidence. Or it, then but he it's pretty compelling. To, yes, and he wanted to pay me because he was a wealthy man. So he wanted to pay me for doing this. And I said, no, I can't accept any money for this. So one day when he was visiting us, he put um, $1,000 in an envelope in a drawer in my house. And when he left, he said, you need landscaping. You don't have any landscaping in your house in the front. You need to get plants and get a landscaper. Open up the drawer. I've left you money for you to do that. So I was willing to accept it because he was giving it to me. He was really giving it to me for what had happened in Chicago, but I was accepting it because he was giving it to me to do something on my property. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So he, who was not, I mean, this man was a big stock broker person on the Chicago stock exchange or whatever. He was not into spirituality. That's all I'm trying to say. And he called me. Yeah, yeah. And he felt like he owed you something for that. He felt like, a.k.a., that you'd had an impact and effect. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. You See, you just mentioned stockbroker. So I guess just a really quick question. Have you ever thought or have you ever remote viewed or tried to remote view lottery numbers, stocks, shares, sports results, anything like that? And I'm not trying to get at whether you've secretly made billions of pounds and, you know, in an offshore account know. somewhere. but. <laughs> uh- even I just for your own, you know, amusement, just for fun, just to see, like, am I going to... Uh, I was in some remote viewing group or something where we were doing something for the Powerball numbers, something called mm-hmm. Powerball. I didn't even know what the Powerball was because I don't do the those things. What I have had is uh, times in Las Vegas where I can control the dice 
or I know I've had strange incidents where I met a person on a street here in Sebastopol at a copy machine mm-hmm. who turned out to be someone who <laughs> was in a lawsuit with Russell from a zillion years ago about some, I don't know who wrote what or something, whatever. And Russell was cleared and it all cleared up. But this guy was like a crazy guy that was trying to attack them. And oddly that I would meet him and, and yeah. tell Russell that years later, because I didn't even know Russell then. And when I said to him, yeah, I'm going to Las Vegas, I said, with these girls, we're all 28 years old. I said, I don't gamble. And he looked at me and he said, these are the two numbers on the roulette table you should play. And I write the numbers down on a little piece of paper. And the next day I'm leaving with these group of girls who are all hardworking girls and they're going to blow all their money gambling. I don't, I'm not a drinker and I'm not a gambler, but I wanted to go and see what 28 year old girls do. And I was 28 and we're in a limousine and we're going up to Reno or wherever it was, Reno, Las Vegas, I think it was Reno. Yeah. Cause it was closer. We went to Reno and I'm watching them throw their money away. And I'm thinking to myself, God, this is fun. You know? Yeah. But you know, I was, and I all of a sudden remembered the little piece of paper in my pants pocket. So I go over to a roulette table and I only like when I gambled, the thing with me with gambling is I always had a $20 limit. After I lose my $20, then I don't play anymore. But $20, I could last sometimes for hours, you know, by continually winning. Why why am I not surprised? (laughs) I I don't gamble any big money and I just take my $2 and I don't know how to play roulette. So my neighbor had been trying to teach me before I went for this you know, little excursion of gambling, how to play the game. And um, he tells me, um, you know, anyways, I'll tell you about the roulette after. So I go over to the roulette table and I'm with one of the girls and I could see none of the girls liked me because I wasn't boozing it up and I I wasn't dressing in whatever. I don't know. I just wasn't like them. And I sort of felt out of place, like they really didn't like me. But when I did this maneuver, they were my best friends after that. I just walked over blindly out of nowhere like this and just went up to a roulette table and just plunked my $2 chip thing or whatever on the number that was in my pants pocket. And that number came up instantly. The exact number the man in Sebastopol told me to use. Now, this is a two-way combination because I had to know somehow when to just walk over and do it that minute. Yeah, the timing, the table, yeah. When I told the girl, I said, you know, Amanda Sebastopol told me to use that number. She didn't believe me, and I pulled out the paper. And I didn't have enough time to do the second bet, because you know how fast it goes in the roulette. And sure enough, the second number he had said came up. So like I straight after the first one. Straight after the first one. But I hadn't the time or the mind to think about it, because I don't take any of these things for granted. When any of these things happen... It doesn't matter that I've been doing it for 50, 60 years. When it happens, I still always go, wow, you know, that's a surprise. It's always a surprise. And so when I showed them the paper and I got my $36 because you get the full money on, you know, of course, if I had bet $10, I would add a lot more money. And um, showed her that this was a two-way thing. And then when I met the man on the street, because he was a, you know, struggling guy financially, I gave him, he would never accept money from me. I gave him all the money from the $36 from the winnings. 
And he was willing to accept it because he felt that he had participated in that, you know, yeah. psychic, whatever connection and the others. And then another time I won, I went there and it was during the International Remote Viewing Conference. And when they always had these in Las Vegas, a lot of people on the breaks would go and do gambling in between or slot machines. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know what to do. And a friend of mine said, just find yourself an Italian guy and stand next to the Italian guy and just do whatever he does. <laughs> so I'm standing there and I have my original $20 and my friend Kim is with me and she's standing behind me and I'm just feeling that I could get whatever numbers I wanted on the dice. So I didn't know which ones you're supposed to get though. So I'm rolling the dice out and I get the first ones that win. And the next thing I know, people are yelling, shooter, shooter, shooter. And I'm thinking to myself, they want to shoot me, you know? (laughs) Well, I didn't realize I was the shooter rolling the dice. And there's a guy next to me with a pinstripe sort of suit and a little pencil mustache and pointy, shiny shoes. And I turn to him and I say, why do they want to shoot me? And he said, no, you're the shooter. He said, right now. And he takes his hand and goes around to the table. Do you see all these people? He said, they're all your best friend right now. <laughs> I said, well, I don't know after the seven or the 11, what I'm supposed to ask for. He says, I'll tell you. Just like the guy ahead had said to me, find an Italian man. And I said, you're an Italian man? He said, they don't call me, you know, Dino or whatever his name was, right? <laughs> so he tells me, now you need a four or now you need a this. And whatever he would say to me that I would need, I just continued to get that on the dice. So every time I'd get a $25 chip, I mean, I'd never won a $25 chip. I'd give it to my friend Kim sitting behind me so that we'd save the money. And by the time I finished my run, I had enough for us to pay for the hotel and being there and the trip (laughs) that we went on. So I think I made four or $500, you know, with my original little bit of money. And I, you know, and then when I finally lost my run or whatever, I gave the dice to the Italian man and I said, now it's my time to leave. uh, But it was a definite connection that I knew I could call the dice numbers. But that doesn't, I can't do that every time I go to a casino or, you know what I mean? I was at the remote viewing conference and all those parts of me were extra stimulated from all the different things we were, the lectures we were hearing, the things we were going to. So I feel that part of me was even more open and receptive at that moment. Yeah. And now you're banned from all the casinos in Vegas. Did you like will the die? Like, how did you do that? Do you like will it? You like, oh, come on, please give me a six. Please give yes, me a six. Yes, exactly or it, how. Basically that. Okay. Right, and then it right. would come out and I'd go, whoa, great. You know, <laughs> yeah, Again. You know? yeah. So it could be a lucky streak. It could be any of those things. It's not something that I can reproduce anytime I go to a roulette table. No, no, it's not the most repeatable thing in the world. But yeah, that's uh, fascinating right. nonetheless. Um, last question about your kind of remote viewing experiences. And then I'm going to get some advice from you for, for beginning is just some brief advice and and then that's pretty much going to be us for today there's so many questions i have left on the table for next time um but yeah so have you ever tried to remote view the afterlife the whatever you know the afterlife i i'm not a big fan of the word the afterlife because it kind of implies a place like you know like heaven or whatever but when i say the afterlife have you ever tried to remote view the other side say kind of whatever happens and that kind of thing i never tried to remote view the other side but i have gone i have visited or connected to people and uh in 
I, I feel very close with death mm-hmm. that I know, I know a lot about like when death comes, I can feel it coming or yeah, my yeah. body experiences it, but I've never even ever thought of remote viewing into the afterlife because I feel mm-hmm. connected to it just you know, like as a medium or yeah. whatever you want to use. Yeah. Would you would you consider it now that I've now that I've mentioned it? Or is it something that you're like it kind of like the pyramids like better left, uh, you know? No, I don't I wouldn't alone. wouldn't if, I wouldn't be afraid to do it. I just I, I I'll have to ask Russell, should we try to remote view into the yeah, afterlife? Yeah. That would be Can a I, very interesting question. I'd love to be a fly on the wall if Russell won't mind me sitting silently and, and being in the Zoom, like watching you. <laughs> there is a, an experiment that, you know, I don't know anyone who has the money or would fund it. I think when I mentioned it to some, I'm not sure which scientists, but I'm curious as to how, you know, <clears throat> we know I'm telepathic, okay, but I've been able to do telepathy with people in other countries, in other languages, where neither of us speak the same language. Yeah. So how could I get this information when we're not talking the same? I don't have an answer for this. I, this is something I would love a scientist to try and figure out. How does that work? Yeah. How do I think- you telepathically know? And down to amazing information, like when I had this Mongolian shaman here, she didn't speak a word of English and she was initiating me as a, as a shaman. She wanted these certain different things. She would just think of it in her mind and I would come and appear with the, with the, with the, with the brush or the, or the herbs or something from Siberia that she wanted. Mm-hmm. And I would just know that that's what she was saying. Yeah. Well, when I lived in Mongolia for, you know, a couple of weeks with a shaman family, the translator would say, I, I, there's no need for me to translate because you're both saying the same things at the same times. I stayed in Japan in a Japanese family and they were having some difficulties. I knew everything that was going on, what the daughter did, why these things happened. I don't know about that. And I'm very curious about that. I mean, it's yeah. one thing when I'm doing English to English. Mm. What's happening when I'm knowing information and there's no way that that woman is thinking, okay, I want this in English, Gail, could you get me that? How is there a communication of telepathy with yeah. no languages being spoken the same in that yeah. place? Yeah. yeah, that's super fascinating and, and bizarre. And obviously, I'm not going to try and dare to give you an explanatory framework. But I mean, I think it's on some level higher than language. You know, I think language is our kind of human thing, that our, our physical brain and everything like that. I think I think maybe this is com- coming from somewhere on an on a higher plane and it reminds me of like in some you know examples with mediumship I'm thinking particularly of I think maybe physical mediums where they will suddenly kind of have somebody come through and they'll talk or sing even in a language that they have never spoken or heard or you know like it, never had even exposure to this language and and then maybe it would be recorded in the notes or something and which will be then, you know, there'll be then people that will look at it and like, okay, yeah, this is a real language. And this is this, we think this is archaic Chinese or whatever it might be. And so, yeah, it, it's kind of related, I think. And it's just super, super interesting. I, yeah. It's, it's the shamans of Mongolia, when they go into their shamanic place, uh, they turn into the spirit of the person that they work with for shamanic work. Oh wow! When you see a 28-year-old, drop-dead, beautiful Mongolian woman, 
that's so pretty that could be on the cover of a modeling magazine. And she turns into a wretched old 85-year-old wrinkly man. And you see it happen before your eyes. Yeah. You can't believe that. But something, they embody the spirit or the spirit embodies them. And uh, they turn into that. And they have a few different, like one particular shaman, she has a young little child that works with her. So all of a sudden, this huge shamanic lady turns into a giggling, laughing little child to do this mm. this work. And it's and is not the lady that you were just talking to. You see the it's physical changes. Yeah. Yes. I think so, they call that transfiguration, right? And I think, again, that's something that is quite prevalent in physical mediumship. Well, not quite prevalent. I, it happens. <laughs> it can happen. Like where Stuart Alexander, I don't know if you know Stuart Alexander, somebody I've spoken with on this podcast. He's um very well-known physical medium in the UK. Leslie Kane wrote about him in Surviving Death. Um, anyway, he has had, he's done that a couple of times. In fact, one of my guests I did have on this show had an experience with Stuart, another one of the guests I had on the show, had an experience with Stuart where he saw like the face of his can't remember if it was his mother or his grandmother but the face of one of his loved ones kind of over the top of Stuart's face and um yeah i mean like wow so what do you, yeah <laughs> what do you do with that right so I, I i can't relate to it in remote viewing but i can relate to it in those situations yeah, yeah. i'd love to have an experience like that or anything that's kind of like unmistakably anomalous like without a doubt you know something whether you don't kind of you're not left like questioning yourself over and over like is um anyway let's go on to the mic to my last kind of topic here so just any brief yeah tips advice suggestions anything help assistance guidance for people that might want to try including me that might want to try remote viewing um yeah beginners basically well i think uh there's a gentleman that i've had on my show and I went out to Colorado to meet him. So I could, could say I highly recommend him. He's a very reputable person. Mm -hmm. And he has uh, videos on YouTube. His, no, his name is Sean McNamara. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um, he just did, he just wrote a book called Dewdrops of Infinity, mm. where he did an experiment of remote viewing with microdosing mushrooms. Yeah. And to see whether the remote viewing would be more enhanced, less enhanced, about the same, and what each different individual experienced doing that. And, excuse me, he offers different, and I don't think they cost any money, and they're online in YouTubes, and he has remote viewing, or, you know, there's different courses that some people give. I personally would steer away from the people that want two and $3,000 to teach you mm. remote viewing. Yeah. I'm not criticizing anyone who does that, but I don't think you need to spend that kind of money to learn how to be a remote viewer. Mm -hmm. um, I would definitely read um, uh, some of Russell's books about the history of it, if they want to know about that. I would have, definitely have them watch Third Eye Spy to learn about the history. They don't feel like reading. But um, I would tell them all that they can all do this. This is not some sort of a skill that, oh, only certain types of people can do this. No. Uh, Russell has proved over and over again, he can go into a large group in a conference somewhere and teach people to do remote viewing on the spot and in another language. Yeah. Uh, I think that, as I said in the beginning, remembering about your inner voice, 
and remembering about your bodily, intuitive, gut level feelings to guide you through doing this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The idea that when people say, oh, no, I'm not psychic or whatever, I'm not intuitive. Uh, I believe we are all intuitive and psychic or we all have knowingness. I just think that sometimes a lot of it gets shoveled down into the depths of ourselves through uh, religion, uh, being told this or that in school. These things that are constantly. uh, Yeah, there's there's all these that can make you feel that there's nothing to believe in other than this physical reality, that that's how it all functions. Mm-hmm. I think being in nature and connecting with nature is another one of the ways to bring yourself back into that. And I think I think even with, you know, like remote viewing, not every remote viewing I've ever done was perfect. Not every yeah. remote, you know, like I, I can't sit down and play anything at the piano, but you know, chopsticks or whatever. You know, I can't play any music on a piano. My husband can sit down and just hear a song from somebody and and play the entire thing like he's been playing it for years. Yeah, well, Tiger so Woods I, sometimes hits a bogey, right? Sometimes hits right. three over par or whatever. Like uh, exactly. Yeah. So I think that there are some people, you know, that may be more skilled in remote viewing, but I believe just like piano playing or sports or any of these things. Everyone has times when they're really in the zone and it happens. In fact, this would probably be the time for me to tell your audience if they would like to practice, because I'm doing another experiment right now with uh, Russell. Mm -hmm. He has two apps online. Uh, They were free for many years, but now they're a whopping 99 cents. So I think most people can afford it. And my husband actually designed and made the apps for Russell. And one is called ESP Trainer. Mm-hmm. And the other one is called Stargate ESP. Cool. And I highly recommend them as a training. It's what was used for the military and the CIA when they were training them. It was actually a big box, a wood box, which used to be sitting here in the house when my husband was making the the app. And it yes. had these color lights and you had to uh, touch which color light you thought would come up. So the app on your phone which is on Apple phones, one of them, I'm not sure if they both work on Android and Apple, I'm not sure, but uh, you have to pick a color square. And when you touch the the red or the yellow or the blue or the green, if if the picture's hiding behind that one, you hear a lovely kind of meditation bell and this picture of somewhere in National Geographic photos comes up. And you do 24 of them and it rates you as useful in Las Vegas or a good beginner or ESP ability present. And what it teaches you is that you'll start to see how, which was the color you picked in your mind that you actually chose. Mm -hmm. Was it the one that fleeted by really quickly and is the real one that comes up? Or was it the Mm -hmm. one where you said, let me think, let me think, which one is it? And those four little squares can teach you, like for me, I would always be guessing, I'd press red and the second color would would be the red. The first color that it should have been is yellow, Mm -hmm. but I would always be seeing what the next color was going to be. And you start to see a pattern and you start to understand how to separate in your mind, which one is the one that's really going to show me the picture. Yeah. So I would advise that for 99 cents to help if you're wanting to train. Yeah. And the other one, which is the one I've been working with a lot right now, 
is the Stargate ESP. In this one, which is only a few years old, a person has two has information and it's wanting to know what the target is 24 photos and the first photo is hidden there but they're going to ask you two questions are there um buildings in this photo is there water in the photo and then you click you know yes there's water or no there's no buildings so you've answered two of the 24 questions when you finish the 24 questions the picture comes up. It also says pick which picture you think, because you'll see four pictures at the end, which one matches what you think your remote viewing is. So that's also very helpful. Mm -hmm. And you don't need anyone to do this. It's just you and your phone. Yeah. Then you start to see your scores and you start to do things like I do. Like when I do it first thing in the morning and I wake up, I've been getting a pretty steady 17 out of 24 every morning. When I do it at night or if I'm tired or if I'm something else, I get a low score. But I'm but you start to learn about how your body is and what mood or state you're in and which ones do you do more successfully in. Yeah. When you're sad, do you do better? When you're happy, do you do better? So yeah. it's a fun way to learn, you know, and to learn about how it's functioning in you. Yeah. So I highly recommend that if this is what they're looking to do. And then... Um, I would go on the YouTubes and there's, you know, there's famous teachers out there uh, of, you know, I don't know if there's waiting lists to be in their classes or how much they all charge, but there's other teachers out there if they need to be in a classroom situation where somebody's teaching them remote viewing directly, they do it online now. So I guess that would be another, another form also for, you know, committing to wanting to learn about remote viewing. Brilliant. That's, uh, that's great. If you could send me the links to those apps or the names just to make sure I can find them, I'll try and put the links in the description. Um, would you would you say that like engaging in meditation and stuff and practicing meditation also kind of can really improve or increase your kind of chances with this? I do believe that it does. In fact, there's studies that Dean did with this. Yeah. And that meditators have an easier time of focusing and stilling the mind for the information. Mm. So I myself, have, you know, all my things in life, I've never been a, like anything I do, I do it for a while, then I don't do it for a while, then I do it for a while again. I've never been, you know, I didn't finish high school. I'm not somebody that like, whatever, does a steady thing and continues at it. Um, when I've been doing, and I've done intense meditation, I've done nine days of silent meditation where, you meditate 12 to 14 hours a day and you do walking meditation, sitting meditation, walking meditation, sitting. Just making a note of that for next time. I'll ask you about that. So uh, carry on. Yeah. Well, I, I had cancer at the time, so I was doing it to heal myself. Wow. And um, after that silence, which a talking person like myself could never believe she could do, <laughs> my telepathic and images and dreams and vision and that sort of thing was the sharpest ever. Wow. And I, I could walk up to a person, I'd say, during my meditation, I saw you doing this, this, and this, and them say, yes, that's exactly what. So I, I, you know, but I'm not, you know, I'm not ready to jump into nine days of silence again. I was doing it for a serious cause of wanting to survive cancer at the time. Yeah. But um, 
these people that I know for a fact that uh, Dean meditates every day, Russell meditates. And I think that meditation, you know, I wish I could do that every day, but I find that I try to do meditation in something that I'm doing when I'm working at something that's repetitious. Mm -hmm. So if I'm processing for five or six hours, drying apples, I think of it as a meditation because it's just me and the apples and we're just doing this repetitious thing over and over and I'm focusing on that same thing. But I would like to be a little bit more disciplined like other people that just say, oh, Me every too. morning I do this, but I'm not good in the disciplinary area. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel your struggle there. I, I need to <laughs> meditate. I need to start yes. doing that. There's, there's so much but, potential with it, right? So, yeah. And also for your body, your heart rate, mm. you know, it's all yeah. these things yeah the physical stuff too would you say just one last little question about that when when we're doing these apps and stuff to kind of you know work on that is it good to try and be in some kind of even not a full meditative deep meditative state but some kind of like you know like mindful meditative calm quiet mind is that good or does it not really matter too much i just did a little test on that because i wanted to see uh i myself have uh, been a pot smoker for many 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 years many years let's see more than 50 years and i wanted to see and russell said to me when you do this test because he's having me to test the two apps right now to see whether i get more hits on one app with the photos than Mm -hmm. say the squares and right now i'm doing 25 of each one so far it's looking like the um newest one the um stargate esp i'm doing double the amount of hits on that I'm actually triple than I am with the four color squares. Now, two years ago, I was doing incredibly high on the four color squares. Mm -hmm. I couldn't get, you know, 10 hits on the other one. And now it's reversed. I don't know why, Uh, but is actually showing. He wanted me just to do this to see what is the difference in my ratio of, you know, success. Mm I'm sorry. What was the rest of the question on that? Uh, it was about being in, yeah, like meditative state to do these oh, apps right. and these so kind of practices. I said to him, I said, and he says to me, because he knows that I smoke pot, he says, and I don't want you doing any of these when you're high. <laughs> so naturally that he said that I had to get high and do it. Because <laughs> I'm a rebellious rat. But anyway, <laughs> so I got high and I did the test after I did the I did the test first, both of them. And then I went and did it after I smoked. And sure enough, I got a terrible score when I, after I smoked. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And I did really well when I had just done it, when I woke up. So I wrote down a note on the, as I was taking them, that this was, I wanted to see what the difference would be. Yeah. And I wanted to see what would the difference be after I did shamanic things, because I go into I can't explain what the place is, but it's a certain kind of place. And I don't know how it happens, but it just does. And I did this in the sound healing I did on Monday. So I was feeling very elevated and very connected, positive, energetic way from having done this healing on his wife. Mm-hmm. And when I came home, I I said, you know, I wonder if in that space you'll do better on these testing. And I got my highest my highest score on that. Wow. So, but you know, that's only one time, one remote viewing. 
I don't know if that's would hold true all the time. Yeah. But I had to just so it's an experiment for my own self also to see when do I do the so I from what I'm seeing so far, my best remote viewing is when I wake up in the morning and I do mm-hmm. it first thing. Yeah. But as with everybody, I guess it's going to be individual to an extent. Like we, like we said before we started the interview proper, like you're, you're used to be a morning person. You're not so much anymore. Some people are going to be yeah, way more functioning in the morning. Some people are going to be you know, way more on the ball at night and, and everything in between. So, yeah, I guess it's a case of you've got to find your, you know, what works for you. Anyway, as I said, I've got so many more questions. We're going to save them for next time. Gail, thank you so much for giving me all your time. You've been so generous and, and I've loved hearing your stories. I could, I could do this for hours. Is there any well, message or last word? Yeah, we, we did. We did. Hours more. Uh, is, there, oh is there any God, message? Hours. Yeah, yeah. I've got a person coming on my podcast in two hours I have to prepare for now. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I hope I haven't left you in the lurch too much. Is, is there no, any no. last words you want to you wanna send to anybody that's watched and listened? Any brief message or anything like that? Well, Could be I, anything. I... I just like with your podcast, I hope people will check out my podcast on YouTube or of Apple. Course. Links will be in the description. Yeah, any of those things. And um, uh, and also that just like we just did here today, we honestly shared our stories. And I think that's a very one. And it's an actually an ancient form. Storytelling used to be the way that, you know, information was shared and kept amongst you know, tribal people and this sort of thing. Yeah. I think going back and sharing stories with each other and not having to be famous people or anything. I think that this is a, a like you know, a, like a beautiful path to be on to share with other people. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Gail. Really appreciate it. Wish you all my best. Thank you so much. I'll see you in the internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to my conversation with Gail Heisen. Check out the episode description for relevant links and much more. Please subscribe to Gail's YouTube channel and have a scroll through her videos to see if any of her awesome guests catch your eye. Please subscribe to our channel if you want to continue unraveling the universe with us. If you enjoy our interviews and want us to keep making content, please consider a monthly contribution via Patreon. Thank you for your support.